The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited. It's a banner day here on Game Changers Radio. This is one of our brand new series starting early in 2016. This is the future of the future with Game Changers. But what exactly is the future? Well, some say it is the time or a period of time following the moment of speaking or writing, meaning as soon as I say the word writing, the future is what happens next. It's time regarded as still to come. Some people still think a gypsy or an intuitive or a psychic, I'm not mocking anyone, can tell you what your future is, but we have a much better solution. Stick around for this brand new series and hear from experts who dabble in the future, they study the future, they think about the future, they have the expertise and the insights to give us future visions on what we can expect or what we should help to become the future. We can make the future our own. Enough said. Let me start off. The buzz is wow. McKinsey says the potential economic impact of the Internet of Things is going to be $11 trillion. That's right. I said trillion with a T. $11 trillion a year by 2025. That will be the equivalent of 11% of the world economy. Yes, we're talking about IoT. As we evolve into a very smart, very connected world, and I hope those two are on a par with each other, connected and smart, IoT facilitated improvements will reach everywhere. They will reach across your city. They will reach across the farms that feed you. They will reach across manufacturing and retail as you work and as you play, our daily lifestyles, everything. But guess what? Businesses are just now waking up to the growth, <clears throat> excuse me, growth opportunities that the Internet of Things will bring. We have a panel of futurists. You know them. They've been on Coffee Break with Game Changers and other series many times here. They're going to share insights on the immense near-term potential and how businesses like yours, you listening to us on the business channel all over the world today, how your company, your organization, your business, your team can get ahead of the curve and cash in on what's coming down the pike. A lot of money in them, Thar Hills, and a lot of profitability. So let me get started introducing our esteemed panel. We're so thrilled to have Frank Diana with us. His new title is Principal Future of Business at TCS. Well, what a perfect title for this show. And Frank has sent me a quote from Carl Bildt, that's B-I-L-D-T, Chairman of the Global Commission on Internet Governance and a member of the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council on Europe. Here's the quote. Very soon, 
the Internet of Things will become the infrastructure on which all other infrastructures are based. Frank Diana, the future is here. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Well, back, my goodness, you're helping to launch a, bra- a great new series, and we have to do a shout-out to Brad Borkin at SAP and Susan Walker, who are sponsoring this series. So, Frank, are you excited about this new opportunity to talk about the future on a show called The Future of the Future? Absolutely. Thrilled. No pressure, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to do a little hype here. So, Frank, interesting. Carl Bildt sounds like a very important and very smart guy. Do you agree with this prediction he's talking about? The IoT will become the infrastructure, probably the king or mommy or daddy of all other infrastructures. What does this mean? Well, first of all, I love the quote. It's short, simple, mm-hmm. and impact- impactful. Uh, so, first of all, I, I like it because it, it really talks about the magnitude of the impact, the, not just the United Things, but exponential technologies in general. Um, and the fact that exponential technologies like the Internet of Things have really been viewed sort of in isolation, and he's kind of bringing it forward into a more impactful kind of infrastructural discussion, more of a platform form versus a single isolated technology. Uh, and I would argue that e- even though we think about things in the context of IT, we're on the verge of a new general purpose technology platform along the lines of the steam engine and the railroad and the printing press, those kinds of things that, as we know, change the world. And so why I like this, because he's positioning a platform that will change the world, and I really buy into that. I appreciate that very much. Thank you much, thank you much, Frank, and thank you for joining us. And congratulations on your new title. It was perfectly made for this series, and I have a funny feeling you're going to be back from time to time. Joining you today is somebody whose title is Futurist. How pure is that? It's Gray Scott. And Gray Scott is quoting today Eric Emerson Schmidt who's an American software engineer, businessman, and the executive chairman of Alphabet, Inc. Does that sound familiar? It's formerly Google. Schmidt is ranked as the 138th richest person in the world. His estimated wealth, well, it's a mere $9.1 billion, but who's counting? And here is the quote. This is interesting. The Internet will disappear. There will be so many IP addresses, so many devices, sensors, things that you are wearing, things that you are interacting with that you won't even sense it. It will be part of your presence all the time. Gray Scott, welcome. Happy New Year. How are you, Gray? I'm doing well. Thanks, Bonnie, for having me back. Oh, who else would we have to join Frank and upcoming soon our third panelist? This is the trio of futurists. So, Gray, first of all, tell me, how do we define a futurist if that's your profession? What, what is that? Well, there are lots of uh, uh, different types of futurists. Some are science fiction writers. Some are foresight experts and work with companies to help them see what's coming. Um, I am sort of a traditional futurist in the sense of uh, I, I do write science fiction, and uh, my job is primarily to talk to, the fu- talk to the public about the future, right, to get them to focus on the future, we have lots of historians, but we don't have a lot of futurists working in university settings. And I think that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to uh, bring to the public. Well, thank you very much. And now you picked this very interesting quote. Do you agree the Internet will disappear? It won't really disappear. It sounds like it will int- int- disappear from our sensibility about it. Can you explain that to me? Well, I do agree with the quote. I think computers will be ubiquitous in the next 10 to 15 years. So everything will be a computer. Uh, And what I mean is 
because everything is becoming cheaper, process, processors are, be- are becoming cheaper, that your clothing, your chair, your table, everything will, will be smart. Everything will be a computer. And so there won't be a need to go to a desktop computer to sit down and type out a URL. You'll just go and you'll touch your desk or you'll tap your mm. wristwatch. Or, you know, the, some of these things are showing up now, but in the very near future, everything will have an IP address. Now, just quickly, too, there's a, there's a company called Shodan, uh, and this is it's very interesting for the show. Shodan is actually a search engine for... Uh, the Internet of Things. It's a little scary because what you can do if you sign up for uh, the service, you can search video cameras that don't have passwords around the world. As scary as that sounds, there are thousands and thousands of these open cameras just pointing into people's houses. And so we've put these devices in our homes and we haven't really realized the implications yet. And so when we say it's going to disappear the beginning of that transformation has already started. People are sort of losing the idea of what these these machines and these objects are doing. Interesting. Thank you very much, Greg. Very appreciative that you are joining us here on this, and I know we have a lot more to talk with you about during the show. And rounding out our triumvirate, our awesome trio here, Timo Elliott at SAP, and Timo has sent me a very interesting quote from the police. Now, nah, that's not the guys down the street with, with the holsters and the guns and the blue uniforms. It is a lyric written by Sting from the music group, The Police. The album, going all the way back to 1980, <clears throat> excuse me, is Zenyatta Mondada. By the way, The Police are an English rock band formed in London back in 1977, just three years before they cut this album. Uh, they have consisted for most of the history of Sting, the lead singer, the bassist, the principal songwriter, Andy Summers on guitar, Stuart Copeland on drums. And the song is canary in a coal mine and here's the quote that timo has selected very interesting a lot of history here you live your life like a canary in a coal mine timo elliott welcome back how are you and happy new year i'm great thank you bonnie and yourself i'm well thank you for asking that's very kind of you i love sting so i'm happy to see this quote so talk to me how did you pick this and and give us the background what does this actually mean i know there's there is a uh historical and real-time explanation for canary and coleman it's not just a painting somebody painted it's not just a cartoon somebody made it's real tell us what this is all about timo what better way to start the Future of the Future series than by talking about some history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like this quote because, as far as I can tell, uh, the canary in a coal mine is actually the first example of Internet of Things sensors in the workplace. Um, the canary was there to detect minute amount of gases that could make the miners sick. It's been going on for centuries, and believe it or not, they actually had canaries at the time that the police recorded that album. It wasn't until 1986 that canaries were actually replaced by electronic gas monitors, which I'm sure are connected today. Uh, I like the quote because it also shows that Internet of Things is, is, has been around for a long time in some of its guises. If you talk to manufacturers, for example, they've had connected uh, devices for a long, long time. 
So there's been a huge change. We've got some fantastic opportunities. But in many ways, we're just uh, doing what has already happened in some niche sectors and expanding it to the rest of the world. Thank you, Timo. Are you a big police fan and Sting? Is this one of the music that you listen to a lot? I grew up in the 80s listening to my Sony Walkman and, yep, then Yata Mandata. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you pronounced it a heck of a lot better than I did. Thank you very much. We love music references as well here on SAP Radio. Okay, let's circle back to Frank Diana. Frank, well, it's still January. I think it's still time to say Happy New Year. So what are you drinking to kick off the New Year? Or if you want to hark back to what you did on New Year's Eve, we'd be happy to hear that. What do you? What's your favorite drink in your cup for 2016, you as a futurist today, Frank Diana? Well, for 2016, my favorite drink continues to be red wine. <laughs> Unfortunately for today, I have a hot cup of Theraflu sitting in front of me. A hot cup of way. what? Theraflu. Tell me. Theraflu. Oh, no. Oh, no. How, how are you feeling? Uh, not a great way to start the new year, but I'll get over it. Okay. Well, I hope the ther- – now, when you say a hot cup of Theraflu, is this something you drink, something you sip, something you kind of dabble at while you're doing other things? How do, how do you dose that? Well, so it's just eight ounces of water, and uh, and you throw the powdered uh, Theraflu mix in. It actually works really well. It's uh, the hot for the throat. Great. Thank you very much. I hope you feel better, Frank. And let's turn to Gray. Gray Scott, what are you drinking today? Coffee. <laughs> what kind of coffee? I'm having um, <clears throat> French roast with a little bit of coconut oil. Ooh, tell me something. I've started to use coconut oil. I buy it in a huge, I won't call it a tub, but a jar that's so big Mm -hmm. it barely fits on one of my kitchen cabinet shelves. And I've started to use it for cooking. I use it sometimes in um, uh, baking. I use it in waffles to help grease the waffle iron as part of the batter. Are you Mm -hmm. using coconut oil in, I think they call it motor oil. I think there's a number to it. Do you use it in everything? Uh, I use it in coffee because it's a substitute. It has a little sweetness to it, so you can use it instead of sugar, um, and it just it gives the coffee a little bit of a, a, a softer flavor. I like that very much. I think the future is here. Thank you very much. And Timo Elliott, are you calling from France again today? Are you still there? I am, and I've run out of different drinks, so I oh, just went no. for whatever I could find in the fridge today. So I just have some apple juice. And is, does it have a brand? Is it cold? Is it warm? You're drinking it from a wine glass, a champagne cup, a coffee cup? It, Come is, on. it is just cold. Actually, you did say I could talk about um, what I used to toast the new year with. Yes, I was in yes. Spain, so I toasted it with cava. And uh, Spanish tradition is as the clock strikes midnight, you have to eat a grape for every, um, every ring of the, uh, every bell that goes off. So you have to eat. 12 uh, grapes in 12 seconds, and it's harder than it sounds. You have to eat 12 grapes in 12 seconds. And what kind of grapes are these? Tell me these are, please, please tell me these are grapes without the seeds, without the pits. <laughs> no, they weren't. That's what makes it harder. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. We'll just go with that one. Thank you very much. And uh, surprise to all of you, I'm drinking a lot of coffee these days, but I promise I'm not having any caffeine here on SAP Radio Days. My daughter and her husband bought me a beautiful red Nespresso Virtuline with the Arachino separate frother machine, and I am going through hundreds of capsules they sent me as part of the gift, and I'm almost ready to descend on the Nespresso boutique here on Long Island to buy a couple of hundred more, but mostly decaf. So there, what can I tell you? Listen to everybody. We are talking about the future of the future. Again, a shout out to Brad Borkin and Susan Walker at SAP for sponsoring and coming up with the idea for the series. We're talking today about something that's so important to all of us, the Internet of Things, IoT, world-changing impacts. Not just what you do every day, but your business. What are the opportunities? What are the growth openings? What should you be seizing upon? What do you have to be aware of? We have three experts on the panel, three of the best, Frank Diana at TCS, Gray Scott, Futurist, and Timo Elliott, who is Senior Director and Global Innovation Evangelist at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Frank Diana is going to help me launch the roundtable. I don't have Skype working, Justin, our engineer, so you're just going to have to listen to my voice. So we're going to take a quick break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars, the sharing economy, and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check, the future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Here we are. We are back and the future is now, I think. It's the second I end a sentence in a period, comma, or semicolon, and it's right the moment after that. Speaking today about the future of the future, very excited to debut this new series and can't wait to see what Brad Borkin has in store for our editorial calendar. Opening up the series with Frank Diana, Principal, Future of Business for TCS, Gray Scott, Futurist, and Timo Elliott, Senior Director and Global Innovation Evangelist at SAP. 
We've already introduced the topic. We've already talked about the IoT and what it's doing. And now let's do a deeper dive. Frank, Diana, you have graciously agreed to open the roundtable with me. Let me read from your notes and let's see where we go. You say the Internet of Things is the mechanism for reimagining energy, healthcare, cities, logistics, and the centralized nature of our current structure, um, structures, plural, among other things. Frank, what I love about this statement is you use the word reimagining. That sounds to me like closing your eyes and maybe looking into the tea leaves or whatever people are putting in the cup when they want to know the future. So why don't you tell us the depth of what this means, and then, of course, we will get Gray and Timo to comment. Great, and and you just hit on the crux of the, the discussion there, the reimagining piece. Because the biggest challenge I face, and I'm sure others face in talking to leaders everywhere, is is fighting the status quo. The notion that this is just another wave, much like waves of the past, another transformation or reengineering. And and that's very dangerous because we're really at a point where the Internet of Things and other technologies allow us to reimagine. I mean, just completely rethink how we do just about everything. And so in this context, things like energy and healthcare in cities get reimagined and, and just completely get get thrown on their on their ear. And and other things like, like law, tax and audit, divinity, I mean all these things are up for grabs and, and the mechanisms are there. Do we do things the way we did in the past? I don't think so. And we talked one time before on this show or the shows of the past about decentralization. And that to me is a big uh, area where Internet of Things fundamentally changes things. We move from centralized structures to decentralized structures and energy and logistics are just great examples of that. So I think the key here is we're not talking about yesterday's reengineering. We're talking about tomorrow's reimagining. Mm. Reengineering juxtaposed with reimagining. Gray Scott, you're the futurist here, the official futurist. What do you think mm. about what Frank just shared? Do you, you agree? I do agree, and I like the idea of reimagining. The way that I've described it is we are becoming a digital species, basically, and that transformation is occurring all around us and it's happening exponentially. So like I said in the opener, everything in the future will be a computer and we will eventually merge our bodies uh, with these computers. You're seeing it the very primary stages now with the IoT and with uh, wearable technologies. So I like the idea of this re-emerging or reimagination. Um, <clears throat> it's a transformation basically is what's happening. Are we in the middle of that transformation? Where are we on the continuum of this transformation? Because to me, Greg, transformation is something that happens over a period of time. And I think mm. that's what we're witnessing. So where are we in that transformation, in that reimagining? Are we in the very beginning? Is this breaking news? Or is this something that's been going on for a while? And, and I know we'll do predictions at the end of the show, but how long is yeah. it going to take? Well, you used a really interesting word just then. It's something that I've been writing about for a while, uh, this idea of the continuum, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea of, of technology has been with us for a very, very long time, since the first wheel was carved. We have had an idea that we could extend ourselves uh, out into the world using uh, our tools and our technologies. But what's happened recently is that that has become a compressed sort of exponential uh, moment for us, and that's what we're going through right now. So what's happening is the continuum has sort of sped up at this time, and, and what we're seeing now is that everything, every industry is shifting and transforming 
the, the digital metabolism is, is increasing, is the way I've sort of described it. So we're, we're, we're not in the beginning. Uh, we're, we're well into it now. I mean, you know, we have smartwatches, we have smart refrigerators, we have things that are, that are about to become uh, accessible to the commercial market where people will look at these objects and say, that was impossible five years ago. Uh, and in three years, just three short years, there will be devices that will be so miraculous that people will not believe that they exist. Mm, interesting. And, and great. You, I just would mention, you mentioned digital species and you say digital metabolism. I said continuum. Frank used reimagining, reengineering. We're talking about the future. I think we are groundbreaking here today on the show. I want to get Timo Elliott in on the party. Timo, do you have any other huge words of impact you want to share that I can tweet to the world? We're really on a roll here. <laughs> it's absolutely going to be about huge stages. Uh, the first steps, though, just so people can get their minds around it, is uh, first and foremost about the transparency of things we're already doing. One of the fantastic things about the Internet of Things is that you can add sensors to things and take processes that we do every day and reveal them. And then you can monitor them and then you can optimize them. So this combination of Simple, cheap sensors everywhere, combined with powerful analytics, big data, you can really do some fantastic business innovation and rethink things in new ways. My favorite example is actually some research that's been done into what you might call a magic carpet. It's for um, elderly people, and the idea is that it helps people stay in their own homes longer. It's a carpet that has a whole bunch of very simple sensors in it, but then it uses big data algorithms to measure uh, the gait, the way people walk over that carpet on a regular basis. And when those algorithms spot that something's off, then um, this alert goes off and people can intervene. So again, it's about the transparency. You can, you can keep people in their homes longer, which helps everybody, cuts down on healthcare costs improves their lives for the cost of a few sensors and some algorithms. It's uh, amazing what we'll be able to do. Timo, that's what I'm going to call scary good. I just have a personal reference here. My mom, Ruth, is going to be 99 on February 1st, and uh, she still lives alone. She's in an independent living facility now in Jacksonville, Florida, for the winter as a snowbird, but has her own apartment, no aid. Nobody takes care of her on a daily basis. She schedules dinners, dates with people there, and she goes to concerts there, and she's right now having her hair done in a salon, and she booked the appointment herself. Very interesting, as as mom ages, and I, I use that term very advisedly, obviously, because as of February 2nd, she'll be in her 100 year. Uh, it's interesting if we would have the opportunity to use one of those magic IoT infused carpets to help figure out how she's doing on a daily basis and not have to force an aid on her. Interesting concept, Timo. What do you think? Absolutely. Monitoring our health and helping us intervene, doing predictive maintenance on our bodies, that's mm -hmm. by far the most uh, powerful application of IoT that we'll see in the coming years. Very exciting. Frank, Diana, you started this thread. Why don't you finish it up? Any thoughts on what Gray and Timo have shared with us? Yeah, two thoughts. The first on the notion of where we are on this continuum. Um, just just a, a, a notion or a fact here. 99% of the things that can be connected to the Internet 
are not yet connected to the Internet. And mm. I mean, to me, that's a fascinating number and really speaks to just how impactful the coming years are. And so although I, I agree that we are well on the path, there is a lot to be done in the next uh, several years. And the second thing is this notion of connected health care. I do believe that the healthcare ecosystem facilitated by the Internet of Things will accelerate specifically for the reason that you mentioned, the elderly and the growing elderly community. I mean, the aging is happening at a rapid pace. It will force the issue around connected health care because it will, we'll need to care for our parents in our homes as opposed to hospitals, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Grace Scott. It's time to look at the possibly dark side of IoT. We cannot have this conversation without looking at the other side. And what are we giving up against, juxtaposed against everything we're gaining? So I'm looking at your notes and you say the Internet of Things will be the end of privacy or the beginning of transparency. We cannot have it both ways. We can't have an all-seeing smart world and also privacy. And then you end that thought with, we will need to adjust our thinking. Why don't you take us from the beginning, and I think this is another continuum, Gray, if I'm correct. Why don't you take us through what this means, privacy, transparency, where do we want to end up? Well, as I mentioned in the opening uh, statements, this, this new company, Shodan, that uh, allows you to search for people's cameras that, that don't have passwords, these are the kinds of, of things that we need to be thinking about when we think about transparency and security. So, of course, all of the people that, that put these cameras and these smart devices into their homes could easily add passwords and protect their cameras from hackers and those sorts of things. But we all know that hackers can gain access to almost any device at this point, even if it does have a password on it. So what we're really looking at is, is a divide between the, the, the world of transparency, where we all make an agreement that if we want the world to be smart, if we want the world to have ubiquitous computers, that we have to accept a certain amount of transparency. Now, that sort of social agreement and that sort of digital agreement is, is something that we've yet to really decide on. We, we've just started implementing these devices into our homes without really saying, uh, you know, is this the direction we want to go in? So my question really uh, for the public is, uh, and, for, and for corporations, how do we manage having every device that surrounds us, knowing every detail, using big data, uh, and, and, and quantifying us, and at the same time having some sense of, of privacy. I'm not saying that I, I don't want to have any privacy in the future. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that we need to discuss how we're going to get there. And I don't see that being the main discussion. What I see is how do we develop a new smart desk or a smart chair or a smart refrigerator without the discussion being, do I really want people knowing if I have a piece of cheesecake in my refrigerator at, you know, 12 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and for in my case, it's have I opened the door of the refrigerator exactly. at 12.30 in the morning and is my IoT-connected magic fork touching that cheesecake and how much cheesecake is left at 12.36 a.m.? Gray, that's what I'm worried about. Who's going to know that? But I digress. Timo, Elliot, what do you think about cheesecake in the fridge and this level of transparency? What, what do you think? we need to accept what's the trade-off my parents-in-law just bought a connected fridge i don't think it's going to change their world but security concerns do start getting a lot more serious there's already been 
uh, hacking successful hacks of cars. Now the cars are increasingly connected. Uh, hackers managed to stop a car in the middle of a busy freeway, mm-hmm. and um, several medical devices have had to be recalled. Things like uh, pacemakers, because their Internet of Things sensors could were hackable. Um, that starts getting a lot scarier. And one of the things that we actually absolutely have to emphasize is that people need to insist on better security. The first wave of devices, especially in the consumer world, has been deeply lacking in robust security. Why? Because it's cheaper to do it that way. And also, if you do security right, it's harder to set up and use because you have to have separate passwords for each device. Eventually, we're going to get there, but it's going to take some insistence. And unfortunately, it will probably take some scandals before people realize that they do really need to concentrate on this. Hardly a week goes by when there isn't some new device that's been hacked embarrassingly for the vendor. Very interesting. Wouldn't it be interesting if we had the opportunity, I'm not suggesting anything nefarious here, kids, uh, to hack the the smart refrigerators of some of our uh, fitness gurus and see what they're really eating and at what times of the <laughs> night and then hack their Fitbit and then hack their surgery appointments with the plastic surgeon. OMG, Bonnie, be quiet. Frank Diana, you know who I'm talking about, not Frank and some of the most famous ones we always suspected. Frank Diana, what what are your thoughts about this? Transparency, privacy, what are we giving up? What do you think we'll have to give up? Well, a couple of thoughts. One, I think it was Ray Kurzweil that said uh, every great invention has had both a bright side and a dark side, and he uses fire mm-hmm. as an example. You know, fire provided light, but it also burned down things. And so we'll be dealing with that kind of notion with all of these disruptive technologies. And the second thing, I, I just read a book on the future of the professions, and I love a quote from there. It, it talks about what we're heading towards being socially constructive as opposed to disruptive. And that's really a positive way to look at what we tend to look at as a disruptive future. In my mind, um, I agree with, with Gray in his con- uh, concepts of transparency, and I really do think that the value equation tilts to the side of socially constructive, and therefore there will be things we'll have to give up. But I, I, the value equation will be such that we won't mind giving some of these things up. Hmm. Gray, Scott, you want to finish this one off? Yeah. Go ahead. This is Timo. The, the yes. aspect of it for me is the governance and the legal structures, because right now it's not clear who owns the data that's being generated by these devices. It might be your Fitbit. It might even be your pacemaker, but you don't own that data by default. In fact, you don't have any right to see it or have access to it. Um, there are some, I'm a proud European here in Europe, there are some laws that give limited access to the data that's being held about you. But uh, it's clear that we're going to need proper legal frameworks in place to even figure out who has what and who has the right to access what kinds of data. By default, it belongs to the companies that provide the devices. That's not necessarily a great uh, position to be in. No, it's definitely not. Uh, Gray, comments on this? Yeah, Timo, he brings up a really interesting point, um, and this goes back to the original uh, thought of, of not being able to have it both ways and how we need to, to transition as a culture into a digital species. The idea that there will be some sense of ownership in the future may dissolve, and it may not be because a government says so or a corporation says so. What's happening is is that we are decentralizing We've talked about this before on, on, on the show. We are decentralizing those decisions. So right now, 
there are billions of smartphones uh, in our possession. Each of us, have, have, we have this tiny little uh, computer that mm-hmm. we can make decisions with. We make purchasing decisions. We make informational decisions. We, we, we choose whether we share data or not. And so that decentralization may end the idea of this ownership that we are worried about. So that may, that may resolve itself uh, just out of necessity. Um, and this is what I'm saying about becoming a new digital species is that we, ha- we, are, we have to redefine all of these, these cultural references that we thought 10 years ago were, were so solid. Okay, thank you. And guess what? We have a very, very active Twitter stream here going on at hashtag SAP Radio. And I have to do some shout-outs. We have tweets by, it looks like, Tina, T-I-N-A underscore Stein, S-T-I-N-E, who is retweeting Timo Elliott, Want to Know the Future? Listen to Timo and Gray Scott and Frank Diana. Thank you very much. And, of course, we have our friend who we got. Oh, we've got Tiffany Stronsky uh, at TCS. Hello, Tiffany. And we've got TCS underscore E-N-T Cloud. 99% of the things that be, can be connected to the Internet are not yet connected, quoting Frank Diana. We have Brad Bork in the sponsor, and we have Dean Pappas underscore two. Dean is one of our uh, our favorite and most frequent tweeters. He's always very provocative, and uh, I just want to see if I can find something interesting here. Okay, let me, let me pose this question from Dean. He says, but how will the cost of IoT impact uptake? How will cost of IoT impact uptake by the average consumer. Craigslist, and this goes to whoever just said their parents had a smart refrigerator. I think that was uh, Timo. And he says something about Craigslist fridge versus another fridge versus a $5,000 IoT fridge. Timo, you want to address this? Sure. Uh, I think the, I mean, the cost of sensors is plummeting. The cost of connecting them is plummeting. Everybody has lots and lots of bandwidth. So the, uh, the marginal cost of adding a device to, uh, adding a sensor to just about anything is getting much, much lower. So we're going to see a lot of sensors stuck onto things, but I'm not sure that all of them are going to make sense. Um, what we are seeing, as is fascinating, at least for me, is that we're seeing a big move from consumer Internet of Things, that's the one that's been getting all the publicity, but now we're seeing those same types of devices really start taking over the enterprise. And there's mm-hmm. lots of great uh, parallels. So, for example, you can buy a, a Babolet uh, racket that has sensors mm-hmm. on it, so you can make sure you're hitting the sweet spot. And then they're now starting to use uh, sensors as part of the Women's Tennis Association. So SAP is helping analyze these world-class tennis players to improve their game. Or, you know, you have home plant sensors from companies like Parrot. And then John Deere is now taking that to the next level and providing true Internet uh, and uh, Internet of Things enabled systems for running your part your farm to peak efficiency. It's um, that leap over the fence of the enterprise. That's where the real value is going to come for the next few years, I think. Thank you very much. Anything from Frank or Gray on this before I move on? And I do want to get into the enterprise thing. Go ahead, Frank. Just real quick, um, I I would just add to uh, Timo's response that that price performance improvement is is really exponential now. So the the price of these things will rapidly decrease and, and drive some uptake. But I think the bigger issue is going to be value. 
is there enough value created that folks want to leverage these things? And smart home is a great example. The uptake on smart home has not been what people envisioned it being. Uh, mm-hmm. and so why is that, right? Is it the price or is it the value equation? Interesting. Uh, I'm just going to toss a little, hopefully not a monkey wrench in, but generationally in terms of the younger generation, Gen Y, Gen X, the millennials, whatever they're calling themselves versus boomers or the greatest generation, I think they're calling themselves the older the older folks like some of us. Um, does the younger generation embrace this? Do they get this? Are they more into, well, that's the price we pay. We want the connectivity. And by the way, um, uh, Dean Pappas is saying he loves IoT, but please don't stop. Please stop dropping his connection. We all know how that goes. The frustration of thinking you have it and then poof, it's gone. And then when is it coming back? So any thoughts on, on generational appreciation for this? And let's also, to my panelists, let's segue this into the people in the workforce, the younger segment of workforce employees who see this vision, who embrace this. This is, they are these digital species, as Grace said. They're the digital natives. Any comments on how they, as the new leaders of enterprise, will say, sure, we're going to do it this way? Any thoughts? Yeah, it's Frank, um, and I'd like to get yeah. Grace's thoughts on this as well. But um, I, I mentor leadership students at a university here in New Jersey, and, and you always hear that the millennial generation is quick to embrace technology and are very technology savvy, yet moving from an email-based way of working to using Slack, a, a very good social networking platform, has been a real challenge. Adoption of that platform by the students themselves has been a real challenge for the university. And that's interesting to me, right? I mean, it just goes against the grain of what we think when we think of millennials. Interesting. Gray, thoughts? Love to hear from you. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. The, um, you know, the, the message is in the medium, right? So when you mm-hmm. see specific apps and specific softwares that sort of take off overnight, then you realize that's your, that's your canary in the coal mine to me. What it really says is, you know, apps like Snapchat and, and, and these, these apps that, that worked with the idea of, of privacy or sort of gave the, the veil of privacy, but at the same time, the app was being used to showcase very personal sort of specific um, uh, information from people. And you have other social networks that are doing the same thing. So we can sort of gauge how certain things are going to be adapted by the younger generation just by the mere uh, adaptation of, of these apps themselves. Um, it's interesting, when you, Frank, when you talk about Slack, because I, I went to sign up and there was something about the interface that felt too difficult, and so I left the platform before I ever signed up. Now, you do see this in the design world. A lot of times if it's not designed in a specific way, then the user doesn't, it doesn't feel like you can sign on to this effortlessly. And this, when we talk about the Internet of Things, that's what we're going to see in the future uh, of, of IoT, is that if, you, if it takes you out of your rhythm to have to deal with your smart desk, people are not going to adopt that. It, it has to be effortless. It has to disappear into the background, like what we talked about in the intro. If, if companies uh, and innovators can do that, then it'll be adopted just because it's a, an, an extra part of your life. Uh, mm-hmm. It becomes ubiquitous. Just because it's there and it's everywhere. Timo, any thoughts on this? Well, I think in the consumer world, Internet of Things has really been a technology searching for applications. 
again, I think there's going to be just a lot more value in business for the next few years. I don't particularly need a connected washroom in my home, for example, but it turns out that there are companies like uh, Hagleitner, they do uh, industrial washroom solutions for things like uh, stadiums and hospitals. And it turns out that you can save an awful lot of uh, paper towels and CO2 of truckloads of stuff if you can mm-hmm. optimize your uh, washroom. So they actually have internets all over the washrooms. They know when they need to be cleaned and they know when they need new, new provisions. And um, they're providing all that data to the stadium owners to increase loyalty. So in the business world, it's clear that there's just lots and lots of uh, uh, real-life examples just waiting to be developed. In the consumer world, we're kind of, it's kind of the other way around. Millennials are going, well, what would I do with this thing? Ah, interesting. But you know where I'd like to see the connected washroom, Timo, is in highway road, highway road stop. Uh, yeah, when you pull off the road at, uh, you know, the, uh, the New that Jersey exactly Turnpike. That's exactly the sort of thing they're doing, yeah. So that Frank knows what I'm talking about. Without somebody having to check every 30 seconds, yeah. And restaurant restrooms. I rest my case. Too many rests here. Timo, I want to talk about the ecosystem. Have, I don't know if we've covered that already. You see, people tend to underestimate the complexity. There are Many, many different types of IoT and architectures possible. For example, for sensors alone, there are dumb sensors, intelligence sensors, telephones, real-time streaming versus batch, different standards. Talk to me about the ecosystem, or if you've already touched on it, please expand it a little more. Well, to use a very technical term, it's a complete mess right now. <laughs> there are many, many different technical standards for how you actually get these different devices to talk to each other. And it turns out that all of the different applications that you can imagine really do require different types of technology. Sometimes you need really low energy sensors so you, where you can't replace the batteries because it's somewhere remote. Or maybe there's just no connectivity. You want something a little more like smart dust, where they, each little moat talks to the next one, and eventually they connect to the Internet. Or maybe you've got a device on an oil rig somewhere, and it's only connected once every few hours. So it has to bunch up data and then batch it out at the right time. There's just an awful lot of complexity out there. And so what we find is that uh, as companies are thinking, hey, I'd like to take advantage of this, they're struggling to know where to start. The, the vendors are all trying to help, but they realize that they typically only have a part of the puzzle. So what we're seeing is the rise of big consortiums, of groups of people um, busily trying to create standards so that different devices can work together as seamlessly as possible. And then also connect to all of that you know, boring back-end stuff because – there's no such thing as an Internet of Things application that's on its own. It has to connect to something for you to get any value out of it. So that's the big – one of the big challenges over the coming years is for people to choose which vendors, which standards. This is true of the consumer world, too. Um, if you're setting up your home network, you have to make a choice of standards, and all the devices will work much more easily together if they're all coming from the same manufacturer. Well, wouldn't that be a blessed event, the idea of everything, of anything coming from the same manufacturer and standards? I don't even know if we know what that word means anymore. Frank, Diana, love to have your thoughts on this. 
Yeah, I look at the ecosystem from, from two lenses. One is what Timo just described, so I view that as sort of the platform and the lack of interoperability on the platform side. But to me, the bigger issue, because those things get worked out over time, the bigger issue is the change in which companies need to interact within these ecosystems. So now you're really working in an ecosystem that, need, that has multiple shareholders creating value, and we're just not used to that. We, we, we think at a firm-centric level and a business model level, we don't think of value design in the context of these emerging ecosystems. How do we create and capture value when there's so many players involved and industry is meaningless? It cuts across industry boundaries. Mm, interesting. Gray Scott? Well, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about decentralization and decentralizing uh, choice, right? So it's not just about uh, a specific corporation. The, some of these ecosystems are, you know, each little node is represented by, you know, billions of people making decisions. Um, so that idea of decentralizing choice is going to be important. Interesting. To my panelists, Dean Pappas, too, asked this question at hashtag SAP Radio on Twitter. IoT is a complete mess. Yes. Read technical mm-hmm. standards. Timo, here's a question for you. Could blockchain be a unifying force? Thoughts, Timo? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. okay. Thank you, Dean, for your question. We got the first one-word answer in 45 minutes. No. Timo, you can add a sentence, please. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so blockchain is very, very cool technology that will, again, it, 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 it allows uh, transparency without any central control. So it's going to be extremely useful technology for uh, allowing these applications. But uh, – I think the bigger thing that's going to change in the consumer world and business world is that we can sell things in different ways. Instead of buying things, because you're monitoring the use of that thing, you can actually start selling it as a service. So you have that tennis racket I talked about. Imagine if they turned around and say, hey, would you like to pay a different price if you use the racket more? Maybe you only play once every few months you would have a cheaper tennis racket than somebody who played every day. Uh, we're seeing the equivalent of that in the business world already, and it's going to be very interesting how it changes the way people buy and use the products uh, that are available today. Very interesting. Uh, Frank, anything from you on this? Blockchain is clearly a mechanism to drive towards that decentralized world that we've talked about. I mean, I clearly see it as a, as a major player in getting there. Um, but I, w- I would tend to th- agree with Timo in terms of it being overblown at this point. There's a lot that has to happen there. Mm. Gray Scott on blockchain, thoughts? I, it's, it's the groundwork for this new digital culture that we're moving into, um, where it, in, in a lot of ways it could end corruption uh, and sort of do away with greed. It sort of forces our hand in a way um, because it, it becomes a tra- every transaction becomes transparent. So, um, you know, our, our, the question is, are we ready for that kind of transparency? Yeah. Mm, interesting. And one more question. We're just about ready to go into our predictions. I think we've been talking futuristic all of the show. But question from Dean. Um, will a platform vendor emerge for IoT? Timo? I think we're going to be looking at uh, several different large platforms, and it's going to be very particular to the kind of Internet of Things you're talking about, whether it's uh, industrial, more 
what they call manufacturing 4.0 or whether it's more, you know, the home, uh, home world. But we'll probably see competing standards for many, many years to come. Interesting. You know what? I'm going to circle back to Frank, Diane. And Frank, let's just start on our our formal crystal ball predictions round. And this way I can give you each about a minute and a half instead of rushing. Yes, that's not rushing a minute and a half. Okay, Frank, Diana, you know I love the year 2020. We're now into 2016. I love to say, where is it going? It's almost the end of January. What did I miss New Year's? I don't know. We're hurtling toward, we're almost 8% into the year. My goodness gracious. So Frank, Diana, if you love 2020 as much as I do, tell me what would be different about this topic, IOT, world-changing impacts. Will it be, ah, IOT. Well, that was yesterday's topic. We better move on to something more interesting, or will it be, yes, we're still in the trenches figuring it out. Anytime in the future, how far can you see? Frank, Diana, 90 seconds, predictions, go. Well, let, let's stick with 2020, and I definitely okay. don't see the Internet of Things disappearing anytime soon. Um, but as I said before, by, by then, some of that 99% that's not connected will indeed be connected, um, and that's going to create such a wave of data for uh, uh, companies to have to deal with, organizations, governments to deal with, and I believe that most organizations struggle with that. So if I were to look at this on a continuum like we did before, the data insight foresight continuum uh, is not something that companies excel at today. And with that mass of data flowing at them, if they don't get better at that, they're going to be challenged in 2020. I really, really see that. And I do think between now and then it will be a series of obstacles and challenges and game-changing breakthroughs. On the obstacles and challenges side, we've already talked about standards and interoperability. I see those being major things in the next five years. On the game-changing breakthrough side, we're just seeing so much at such a fast pace coming that who knows what will come out in 2020 that changes this discussion. But at the same time, as I said before, I think societal pressures will force some of this or actually accelerate some of this progress along the lines of connected health care because we have to, for example. Thank you very much. Grace Scott, uh, Frank didn't use all of his time, so I'll give you a full 90 seconds. How far in the future would you like to predict, Grace Scott? Futurist, anytime you speak, the next sentence after that is the future of the future you're talking about. <laughs> so let's see if we can capture the future moment right now from Grace Scott. Grace, what are you doing this year? Anything interesting you want to share with us? Anything on your plate? Um, I'm still working on my book, um, just writing my book right now, and uh, a lot of what we're talking about is going to end up in this book. But what I wanted to talk about specifically here, um, when we talk about the future of the future, uh, you know, IoT is the future. We know that it's 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 here. It's going to get um, it's going to penetrate our lives. But one of the things I wanted to bring up uh, that I think is really interesting is is this idea of a new platform called LiFi, L-I-F-I, and this is the alternative to Wi-Fi where it's a biodirectional light uh, uh, transfer of information. So basically, any time that you're in uh, the vicinity of a light, that light can be transferring information back and forth to any connected device. Now, this, when we talk about game-changing, this is a game-changer. So Li-Fi is going to change the IoT of the future. The Internet of Everything in the future will be connected through just being near a light bulb uh, in the future. Um, that's something that we're going to see in probably by 2020. Um, and at that point, there are no more dropped calls. Everything can be connected. You know, signs on road, roadways out in the desert can be connected. Um, 
your clothing, your home, your car, everything can be connected as long as you are within uh, the range of a light that is on. And so Li-Fi to me is the future of the future when we talk about IoT. Wow. Well, that's for Dean Pappas. No more drop connections, Dean. You have a lot to look forward to. And I have 60 seconds prediction time left for Timo Elliott. Timo, what do you think? Healthcare. Uh, Predictive maintenance. I'm a middle-aged man. In the next 10 years, my risk of a heart attack starts going up. Uh, Hopefully by then, I'll have a connected device and the ambulance will already be called before I'm even aware that I'm having a heart attack. So. A lot of lives are going to be saved because of this constant monitoring. And then we're going to group all of that data together so that each of us finds out exactly the the right kind of health treatments we need to optimize uh, our own health based on our genetic makeup. That's going to be a game changer. We don't want you to have a heart attack, Timo. I'm in tears already, but I'm glad it would be predicted in advance. So you just take care of yourself. Guess what? We're just about out of time. And Skype seemed to magically heal itself, IoT or not. So we're back on Skype. I have some predictions. Uh, Let's see. This is one of our brand new series coming up next week. The future of cars with game changers right here, 10 a.m. Eastern Business Channel. You don't want to miss that. In the week after, another new series, Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers. Does anybody see a theme here? Future, future, future cars, future supply chain. But I'm predicting. What can I tell you? We still have Future Business with Game Changers in Season 3 on Thursdays at 10. So we're just all about the future. Frank, Diana, Gray Scott, Timo, Elliott. Couldn't dream of doing a debut show on the future without the three of you. And you are my dream team. Thank you so much. And thank you to Brad Borkin again and Susan Walker at SAP for envisioning this series about the future of the future. Very, very happy to be doing this. Uh, thank you also to Justin and the Business Channel team and the gods of Skype. Thank you for coming back to me. It was a little dicey there, but we got all settled. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be on with this series approximately every fourth week. So the future of the future will be coming back in the future. That's all I have to say. I'll talk to you in one hour. Back here on the Business Channel 12, noon Eastern, on Business Network Innovation with Game Changers. Woohoo! Have a good one. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.